1623, English poet and cleric John Donne was struck by a mysterious illness which left him confined to bed for 23 days. Despite orders to rest, he asked for pen and paper and wrote a volume detailing the, his impressions of the illness titled Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. Each section contains a meditation in which he describes a stage of the illness, an expostulation where he describes his reaction to it, and a concluding prayer. And in the most famous section, part of Meditation 17, Dunn wrote, and this will sound very familiar, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Every person's destiny affects every one of us. Whether we like it or not, we are all connected. What impacts one, therefore, impacts all. So God calls us to look beyond ourselves to the needs of our neighbor. That's the main lesson that Paul is trying to teach the church at Corinth. And Corinth was a hot mess. It was near and dear to Paul's heart as a church he helped plant. However, there were factions in the church who proclaimed allegiance to one leader or another. Yes, celebrity pastors are a problem as old as the church. They also were too impressed by spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues, ignoring more important but humbler gifts like faith, hope, and love, you know, everyday things that are essential for the building and maintaining of community. Cultural divisions were also reinforced in Corinth. Some prized their own personal freedom above everything else. Certain wealthy members who were part of merchants' guilds would eat meat sacrificed to idols, not a sin in itself, as Paul says, but potentially devastating to one weak in faith. And at the Lord's Supper, the wealthy would eat and drink at their own tables, leaving the poor nothing. Since the gospel had come to them, they had, as Luther would put it some 1,500 years later, mastered the fine art of misusing all their freedom. So Paul had a tricky task. How did he help a deeply divided church to look beyond itself and its own needs, its own desires, to the needs of their community, their church, and their world? Paul reminded them of the radical connection they had in the gospel. They were all baptized into one body, whatever their ethnic or cultural background was. They all drank of the one spirit, the same spirit that moved over the waters at creation, the same spirit that was breathed into the first human, the same spirit that rested on great leaders like King David, the same spirit that descended upon the church at Pentecost. It's that same Holy Spirit that fills all of them. They are one body with one God, one Lord, 
united in one Holy Spirit. And so they couldn't just be concerned about themselves. To live into their calling as the church, Paul encouraged them to look outward. And one of the ways they could do that was to support the poor of the mother church in Jerusalem. Throughout Paul's letters, throughout his letters to the Corinthians, he's always concerned about that particular collection to go to Jerusalem. But Paul does this oh so gently. You notice what he does? He gives a couple of recommendations. First, Paul does not set a number or a percentage. He doesn't say you are to give this much. Paul encouraged them instead to give as they themselves had prospered, leaving the number to their conscience. More on that next week. Second, Paul encouraged them to take a collection for the Jerusalem poor every Sunday so that it would be ready by the time he got there. When Paul visited, he didn't want to spend extra time talking about money. That's one of the reasons why uh, generosity campaigns like this one work best when they are time limited. No one wants, but then as now, no one liked it when the pastor talked about money all the time. So to avoid that, Paul encouraged them to give systematically, to make it a habit. When Paul got there, he just wanted, he wanted to be able to preach the word and to enjoy their fellowship. And in making giving a habit, Paul was giving them a gift as well. In habitual giving, the Corinthians were regularly reminded that the church was bigger than a particular leader, than a particular house church. There were numerous house churches in Corinth, or than a particular city. They were connected with the joy and suffering of every member of the body of Christ. Sometimes we can forget our connection to the rest of, of the body of Christ. Sometimes we can get siloed. We can get stuck on what's happening in our own lives or, as in Corinth, our own congregation. Certain American values can exacerbate the problem. We tend to esteem the freedoms and rights of individuals over the well-being of the whole. To be clear, the concept of individual rights is a good thing. It honors the humanity and autonomy of each person. It, at least in theory, holds large entities like the state and the church, organized church accountable. But like any good thing, it can be taken too far. In the name of freedom, we can forget our responsibilities to others. The highest good becomes being able to do what I want, when I want to do it, without any regard for anyone else. So we know that we have a higher calling than pursuing the exercise of our own liberty. We have the tremendous privilege and calling of being the body of Christ in this particular place. And in Christ, we are united in a way we could never be on our own. His life, death, and resurrection turned the world upside down, bringing together people of differing languages, cultures, social classes, and levels of personal wealth and power into communities of faith. We can't overstate how huge a change this was. The God of Israel was known not as a tribal deity, 
but as the one true God in which all people live, move, and have their being. So I leave you with this today. That knowledge that in one God we have our being unifies us as the body of Christ and helps us to look outward, to be more habitual, more systematic in what we give, to whom we give and how we give. When we remember that the church is more than ourselves, our congregation, our synod, or our church-wide body, we have a broader view of what the church can be, what our work in the congregation can be. Our offerings are not just for shalom, but for the work of the wider church and for the good of the world. They aren't just to keep the pastor and his family fed and housed, though I do appreciate that. They are for the sake of the gospel that is preached and lived out here, and ultimately for the well-being of our neighbor. Truly, no person, no family, no congregation, no community, no church body is an island. We're all one in the Lord. God help everything we do as the body of Christ in this place reflect that oneness and outward concern, including our giving. Thanks be to God. Amen.